Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. With your host, Steve Garrett, moderator of the world's largest Corvette website, CorvetteForum.com. MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest. President of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri. And radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on all sorts of platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, now iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Public Radio, Pocket Casts, and Overcast. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit my new website, CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. You can sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information also at CorvetteToday.ck.page. I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette Today, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City. Hendrick Chevrolet is the largest seller of Corvettes in the Kansas City area, and they ship nationwide. Visit ChevyUSA.com or call 913-384-1550. That's 913-384-1550. Another flagship sponsor of Corvette Today is MidEngineCorvetteForum.com. If you'd like to join this new vibrant forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette, it's absolutely free to join this friendly community. You'll meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midenginecorvetteforum.com. On Corvette Today, I get to interview a true innovator and a VIP in our Corvette world. This is a man who started as an automobile race car driver. He was a professional race car driver, then he was a driving instructor, and back in the 1970s, he started building superchargers for BMW cars. Today, you know this man as Reeves Calloway, and his company is Calloway Cars. Reeves, welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Glad to be here. Let's talk a little bit more about Callaway Cars and how it relates to Corvette. Give me the mission and the role for Callaway Cars so everybody understands. Sure. It's a good place to start. We are a specialist engineering manufacturing organization who fills the role for GM that AMG fills for Mercedes. Right. We try to take a very, very good base product. In fact, all of the GM line is really populated by exemplary vehicles. And we take them and make what a specialist would do if they were given free license to do anything that they wanted, but yet still had to bring the car in at a correct price sales-wise and as a correctly supported automobile through warranty. And, of course, be able to be financed from the dealer floor. So that's our mission, is that uh, we are a specialist in the same tradition that there has always been great specialists attached to great original equipment manufacturers. When you look at the role of things like Lister to Jaguar or Alpina to BMW or Alpine to Renault, or Abarth to Fiat, or Mini and Cooper. That's exactly the definition of what Callaway is today. Now, you started with BMW, supercharging BMWs, and I saw an article where I think a gentleman from Car and Driver magazine 
tested your car and really loved it, and that was kind of the impetus for you to start Callaway Cars. Isn't that correct? Well, let me just go back a bit and comment. This is one of those garage-to-industry stories. There was nobody with a lot of money. There was nobody with any particular set of background. You know, we were all young, 25-year-old kids. I had devoted my life to learning how to engineer a race car, how to build race cars, and how to drive race cars. That career made me dead broke. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So in order to put food on the table, I had to do something. So in the back of the house that had no garage, I put a turbocharger onto a BMW 3 Series. And, you know, the thing worked pretty well. But I had no great plans other than to make a few examples of this because it was fun. So I built a garage in order to build the turbocharger systems and hired everybody in the neighborhood to come work at the house every day. And we made these things and depended on the press to get the word out because we couldn't afford to advertise. So this is all pre-internet, you understand. This is 1976. Right. The manufacturing process, the process of building beautifully fabricated tubing and castings and machining and parts, that was me. That's my background. I love building and the building process. So it was a chance to exercise a little bit of an artistic interpretation of what an engine compartment should look like. But boy, when you went to wide open throttle, it better be a surprise. So, yes, we did hand a car over to Don Sherman, the car and driver, and he wrote a little one-pager in the back of the book in 1977 that made it sound like Callaway was a, a company, not, not a garage, that was ready to supply the world with turbocharger kits. Wow. Well, Stephen, the, the, the truth was we didn't have a drill press. But when the orders started to roll in, we found a way to make all that stuff and make it fast and make it well. So that was really the start of, out of necessity, a little company was born in the back of the house in Connecticut. So that's my review of how we did that. Thank you, Don Sherman from Car and Driver Magazine, right? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Don would be a great guy to get on this podcast because he is still the sort of leading source for advanced knowledge of what's happening to the Corvette platform. He's a great engineer. And a good author. Thank you for so, the suggestion. I'll reach out to Don and see if we can get him on Corvette Today, the podcast. All right, so you started with BMW, but how did you merge over to General Motors and more specifically Corvette? That's an interesting path, and I think it's a good lesson for anybody who is concerned about the progress of an individual builder needing to find a relationship with the original equipment manufacturer any original equipment manufacturer. We were searching for anyone who would sort of bless us. We really wanted the role of being that agent for a manufacturer. And our first attempt was to go to the Germans, whether it was Volkswagen, Porsche, or BMW or Mercedes, and offer to be that for them. Well, you know that most manufacturers don't want anybody messing with their car. Right. You know, it's a pride of authorship kind of rationale. And of course, they're right, because you as an outsider couldn't possibly know the decisions that went into making that automobile. And chances are you're going to screw it up. (laughs) Uh, No, 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 really. If you remember your own career in selecting an automobile and then deciding to modify it somehow, 
I guarantee you that the first couple of those that you did were a mess. True. Chances are you ruined some portion of the automobile through your efforts to personalize it. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> over and over so, again, Reeves, over yeah. and over again. Yeah. yeah. So the light bulb for me clicked on, which said, look, if you specialize in an automobile for long enough, you won't make those mistakes. You'll come out with all of the right stuff. And if you could do that for people who are looking for the best possible example of that automobile, then you would have something that someone would buy from you because you've saved them all of the time and effort of going through the angst and pain of incorrectly modifying the automobile. Right. So there it is. That's the formula right there. And until you get to that point, you really shouldn't offer anything for sale. When someone calls you a tuner, it usually means that you are inexperienced and you're slapping stuff on the automobile that came out of a catalog. And that is not being a correct specialist. That's why I really object to the word tuner. I was going to say that is exactly what Callaway Cars is not. That's right. That's exactly what we are not. We are engineers who know what we're doing and we don't release anything until it works and until it's proven. And it's warrantable and it's defensible and it lasts a long time and people are very happy. I am so glad that at this stage in my career of 35, six years working with GM, the only calls that I get every day are people who are happy. That's a great call to get every darn day. It is a great it? call. Absolutely. Yeah. And when somebody owns six of our automobiles and calls and says, I want more, then you know you've struck a chord. I'm talking with Reeves Calloway from Calloway Cars here on Corvette Today. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. We'll be back in segment number two. We're going to talk with Reeves about how he forged the relationship with General Motors and what you get when you have your car Callawayed. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. Yogi Berra once said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up there. At True Wealth & Company, we take that to heart. See, at True Wealth & Company, we believe your retirement lifestyle travels through two doors. Door number one, the blue door, gives you more options, financial freedom. Your money outlives you. Every happiness you wish for in life is through the blue door. Door number two, the red door, is where you outlive your money. You rely on family, friends, or even the state to take care of you. At True Wealth & Company, we're not just financial planners. The best way to walk through the blue door is to have a written plan. Make a work-optional lifestyle a reality with our proprietary True Life Map formula. Look towards your future with anticipation, not apprehension. Having a rock-solid fiduciary partner like True Wealth & Company is essential to effective financial planning. There's no winging it. There's nothing left to chance. Look, we don't want you to become another Yogi Berraism. Give us a call today at 913-653-TRUE. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Start your financial independence and work-optional lifestyle today. Investment advice offered through True Wealth & Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. You're listening to the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. Today, we're talking with Reeves Calloway from Calloway Cars. Reeves, we had a great conversation in segment number one about what Calloway is, but let's talk more about how you forged the relationship with General Motors, who was the chief engineer at the time of Corvette, and how did all this get put together? Sure, Steve. That's a very interesting discussion point. Let's set the stage a little bit. We were in search of a relationship with an original equipment manufacturer, and we tried on a few for size, and we realized what the problems were going to be. 
So on the strength of the turbocharger kits that we were putting out the door, which were completely unauthorized by any relationship with a manufacturer, they were gaining traction, pardon the expression, as working well in the field. And so two things that we had done, I think, wisely right from the start. One is we said we're going to try to make the best possible stuff we can and let the price fall where it may. And the second was we're going to be emission compliant, if at all possible. And back in the 70s and 80s, it was a real struggle because people were just taking emission equipment off the cars, putting on modifications, and then happily flying down the road. But that wasn't going to get you any business with an original equipment manufacturer. Right. So those two points, those two principles of our early business paid off in the end because when a manufacturer, in this case, Alfa Romeo North America, saw that we had done a reasonable job at making an emission-compliant automobile out of some of the Volkswagen turbo kits that we were putting out. They said, you know, we need to combat the Maserati B-Turbo in the marketplace. They're eating our lunch. And Don Black from the engineering side of Alfa Romeo called us and said, could we have a twin-turbo version of the Alfa GTV6, and could we have it to market within nine months, and could it pass emission controls and still be warrantiable? In other words, demonstrated reliability on this little 2.5 liter V6. A wonderful little car, front engine, rear transaxle, beautiful handling, fun to drive, and it had 150 horsepower. But with a twin turbo version, it had 250 horsepower, which made the car pretty darn exciting to drive. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so we did that. And it was our first real association as an authorized person for an OE. And we got ready to produce those cars. And we started churning them out the door in Connecticut. And just about the time we got the first 30 cars out the door, Alfa Romeo pulled the plug. Really? Not on us. They pulled the plug on themselves and went back to Italy, shut the doors of Alfa Romeo wow. for the next 20 years. Yeah. So we're standing there thinking, OMG, <laughs> what are we going to do now, you know? So General Motors runs a program of studying the competitive set every year, all models. And those cars all go to Black Lake in Michigan, and they get driven and analyzed. And I got a call from Dave McClellan, which said, hey, we have a little 2.5-liter V6 twin-turbo alpha here it is a dead ringer performance-wise for a 1985 Corvette. How did you do that? Steve, that's the call that you wait for. Absolutely. Wow. Well, it was not my idea. It was their idea. And you know that that always sets the stage for a good relationship. When they come to you, you know they want you. Everything else is hopefully smooth sailing from there. Well, my view of the whole situation was that you're only as good as your last movie. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and that was the Alpha that got us in the door at GM. And that was a wonderful experience because here was the Corvette down to, what, 230 horsepower? Right. In, in 1986 or seven, something like that. Right. They made us a deal that we couldn't refuse. They said, look, if you build a twin turbo version of the car, we'll assign it a regular production option number. We'll sell the car for you. 
and we're not going to do anything other than that. We're not going to finance it. We're not going to buy the cars from you. Your transaction is going to be between yourselves and the dealers. So you are going to take a long walk on a short plank if this thing goes south. <laughs> oh, was that, was that Dave McClellan's exact words, Reeves? No, I put some words in as well. Okay. <laughs> That's great. I think Dave was taking a long walk on a short plank by even suggesting that we do this. Wow. He was a great leader and a great knowledgeable engineer. And of all of the smart people I have met in my careers working for automobile manufacturers, Dave and a few others like him are high watermarks. All right, so if somebody purchases a Corvette Reeves and they want to send it to Callaway to have it supercharged, what do they get and what's the cost of that package? Okay, I'll back up just a second and clarify. This is a new car program. Right. The Callaway cars are available through Chevy, GMC, and Cadillac dealers as new cars, orderable as new cars, fully covered by the warranty and fully financeable from the dealership. It's rare that somebody sends a car into Callaway because this is a program that's designed to satisfy the knowledgeable enthusiast who wants the best possible version of a Corvette, a Camaro, all of the SUVs and the pickup trucks, as well as the Cadillacs, Escalades, and CTSVs. Wow. It covers the whole product line. That's what's happened in the past 30 years of working with GM. So that's how it works. You tell us what you want, and we'll tell you what dealer has that version of the car on order. Very cool. So the Callaway package includes what? It's different for every automobile, but it's primarily always starts with extra power. Which is what all guys want, right? Sure. Isn't that what we all want? Is We want a, an unending source of power when you press the go pedal. My objective is to have you press the throttle for long enough to realize that, oh, Jesus, I didn't really want to go that far. <laughs> Power to spare is a good thing, isn't it, Reeves? It is. But you get special badging, you get the supercharge, and, for example, a C7 comes out of the factory at 455 horsepower. When it goes through the Callaway program, what is the horsepower up to after you're done? Well, let's talk about the two models. Let's talk about a Stingray or let's talk about a Z06 or a Grand Sport. Right. The Z06 goes out the door at 757 horsepower. And it starts at 650 from the factory. So 757 is what it goes to from 650. That's right. And the Stingray version of the car goes out the door at 630 or 627. But that's about the same percentage increase, maybe a little more for that car. But those are both great examples of very high horsepower that's very civilized. Don't forget, these cars are not kid stuff. These cars pass every test that you would ever subject them to. You have no trouble getting an emissions sticker. They're an authorized modification. They're all warranted. They stop, steer, and start just like the original equipment automobile. They're not noisemakers. They are genuinely top-of-the-line automobiles. And the beauty is, is that they're all fully warrantied through General Motors. You don't lose your original equipment manufacturer's warranty just because your car has been to Callaway Cars. Bingo. As a matter of fact, it's known that you keep your warranty if it's been to Callaway Cars, and nobody else has that status. 
That's what I was going to say. There is no other manufacturer similar to yours that offers a program for a Corvette that retains the original equipment manufacturer's warranty, is there? Sure. And the same goes for Camaro and Silverado and Suburban and every variant of the car that's powered by the 6.2 liter V8. And now the Colorado and the Canyon powered by the 5.3. Wow. So, or 3.6 even. Our work is spread out through the product line. That's amazing. That really is. We're talking with Reeves Callaway from Callaway Cars. Coming up in segment three, we're going to talk about some of the Callaway cars that you already know about and love that are high watermarks in the Corvette industry. And we'll also talk about the C8 as well. Coming up on Corvette Today, the podcast. Fact. According to the March of Dimes, 40,000 babies are born each year in the United States with heart defects. At Athletic Testing Solutions, we take that, well, to heart. ATS offers the ATS Heart Check, a series of non-invasive tests to identify possible hidden heart defects in your kid's heart. Frequently, the symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest are masked or misdiagnosed. The ATS Heart Check can help detect congenital heart problems or abnormalities that don't show up during regular checkups or a sports physical. Have you ever wondered about your child's heart health? The ATS Heart Check is a terrific option, and it gives you peace of mind that your child is heart safe. Sudden cardiac arrest claims on average 130 young lives each week. Don't let your kids be a statistic. The ATS Heart Check only takes 20 to 30 minutes and utilizes an EKG and echocardiogram ultrasound of the heart. Visit ATSHeartCheck.com to schedule your child today or call toll-free at 888-537-2597. 888-537-2597. This is the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. We have a special, special guest with me today. It's Reeves Calloway from Calloway Cars. Reeves, let's talk about some of the famous Calloway cars that have come through all the years of Calloway cars, the sledgehammer and all those kind of cars. Talk about those because those hold a special place in Corvette history. Okay. That's really fun to talk about those because, of course, when you're doing a special project, you don't know whether it's going to be special or not. We're just a hardworking bunch of engineers. And when we look back over projects that we've done, we said, I wish we had known that that was going to be as famous as it turned out to be. But of course, when you're in the middle of it, you don't know that exactly. But in review, I can set the stage for why the sledgehammer was created. Because maybe you remember in the late 80s, there was sort of a contest attitude among the car magazines to see who was the fastest in the land. You know, our friends at Car and Driver ran that annual event. Right. And the Corvette was a good candidate, not because it was a Callaway Corvette, but because it was just a sleek automobile with the potential for power, whose aerodynamics were pretty good, and whose gearing was very tall, so that if you could turn enough RPM with the engine, the car would get to a terminal velocity that was higher than most cars would go without running out of gear. So we learned very quickly that the Corvette could go to those events and with enough power could win them and come home and do it again the next year. The problem with that strategy was that it cost a lot of money to build a magazine test car. And you better go test it before you turn the keys over to a journalist. 
otherwise embarrassment looms large you know yes and so we were building a new car every year and it was costing a fortune and we said to dave mcclellan hey dave how about we just build one car and make it capable of winning any event that anybody shows up at and we'll do that by adjusting the manifold pressure up a little bit at a time until the car wins the event and then we'll go home put the car away and come back with the same car the next year and just go a little bit faster than everybody else. And that was the brief on what the sledgehammer was. It was, a, it was a magazine test car. Okay, so imagine that you've now got it ready and you have to go test it. The problem with going very high speed is that there are very few places where you can do high speed testing with safety. And one of them, and probably the only one that we had access to, was the Transportation Research Center in Ohio which is now the Marysville plant for Honda. But in the day, it was available for anybody who needed to test. And we needed to test privately so that nobody would ever figure out what the real potential of the automobile was. We didn't want to let that secret out. But of course, in testing, we ran into weather delays and we ran into mechanical problems that needed to be solved. And at about the same time that we solved them and got the car up to top speed, the word leaked out of how fast it was going. And we sort of blew the surprise. We climbed the ladder of the steps of speed that it takes to get to terminal velocity. And we thought the aim of the program, the calculation, was to make the car go 250 miles an hour. Wow. It all looked good on paper and it performed very well on the track. It was dead stable. Once we fixed a few little niggling problems, my problem was that I was doing the test driving. And two things happened as a result of that. One is I promised myself that I would never do it again. (laughs) (laughs) It was a wildly stupid thing to do because at that speed, you are along for the ride. There is no skill involved. There is only the ignorance of danger. (laughs) And so because if a bird flies out in the middle of the test program, you're toast. Yeah. So I promised myself I wasn't going to do that again. I also conveniently got called away on the final day of testing to England to service our other big customer, which was Aston Martin. We were building the Group C engines for them at that point. And they needed me, and I had to leave the test track. I called my friend John Lingenfelter, whose shop was only an hour away from TRC. And John was very brave and very good and a good engineer and a good friend. And he came and drove the car for us and got it up to 254.76 miles an hour. Wow. And they called me in England and said, is that enough? And I said, is everybody still above ground? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I said, yes, of course, that's fast enough. Can you drive the car from Ohio home to Connecticut to prove the point that it's a real road car, not a thinly disguised race car? And so that's what they did. They drove it home. In the rain and the fog and the fall weather was closing in, the car was civilized, quiet, had air conditioning, the defroster worked, the stereo worked, it had leather insides, power windows and the whole nine yards, and it made it home successfully, never missed a beat. So program successful. But the fact that it went 255 miles an hour made it so that no one ever showed up 
for a high-speed test again. I would love to be the owner of that car, Reeves, because I can just see me sitting in a parking lot and someone said, hey, nice Corvette. I said, thanks. They say, how fast does it go? 255 miles per hour. And just watch their face. <laughs> That's great. All right, let's talk a little bit about the C8. With the new mid-engine Corvette, out on the road and we're back in production now talk about what callaway is doing in regards to the c8 okay the a couple of comments one is it's early days the cars that we had on order were stuck in the shutdown so we don't have an automobile in connecticut yet second is we've had the cad data for a long time now so we've actually been able to do design and trial fitments of pieces knowing that they'll fit the automobile the third comment is we're going to do some elements of the car first, and they will all become parts or options to the Callaway version of the car. But those things have just been released in a note about what they are and what they look like. And anybody is welcome to see those by just going to the CallawayCars.com website. And you can sign up for being on the C8 mailing list. No problem at all. It's a beautiful set of wheels from our partner, OZ, in Italy. They make the wheels for our race cars and for our road cars. And they are the traditional Callaway, beautiful nine-spoke wheel, lighter than stock, stronger than the original equipment wheel, and offset slightly differently so that they look really good in the wheel well. And we're going to retain the wonderful tire that comes on the car, the, the Michelin, the new one. And next to that, the exhaust system. We traditionally shape our exhaust to be in the center of the car and to exit the car in a double D, a mirror image D of each other. And uh, we put a lot of work into the sound quality. Wait till you hear the automobile. It's going to be fabulous. I can't wait. Especially uh, if you stand on the side of the road and the car goes by you at full chat. This is the noise that I think the Corvette should make. Every one of them It's really really special. And there's a lot of engineering that goes into that because mid-engine car by its nature makes the exhaust system thermally challenged because there's not the kind of scavenging airflow that happens in a front-engine car. There's a whole bunch of considerations. But it begs the question, when is it going to be ready? And we're saying fourth quarter is as soon as we'll be ready with most of this stuff, fourth quarter 2020. And then what to do about power? We're looking strongly at the supercharged solution because there won't be a supercharged version of the car in the product plant. We always want to slot in in some solution that is not competitive with the product plant. We want to be adjunct to the product plant. So I can't say whether it's going to be supercharged or how it's going to be done, but if it were to be, we would be looking at probably something in the mid-sixes for horsepower. But the next few months, we'll answer that question. And we'll keep people posted as to what we're doing and how we're doing it, it looks like. That's great. Reeves, real quickly, can you talk about some of the inherent issues that you have experienced working with a mid-engine car versus a front-engine car? Sure. I'd say two things that are on my mind right at the moment. Number one, I want to do something very special visually when you look down through the rear glass. Our components and choice of fit, finish, and layout is going to be critical so that looking down through that glass, you get a very exciting and very satisfying, very pleasing view of the mechanicals. I don't like engines that are hidden under covers. I think that it's up to the engineer to architect a great mechanical 
layout that lets it really look like an engine with beautiful manifolding, just the suggestion of the correctness of airflow. That's what we're going to shoot for in making the engine compartment. You asked, what are some of the problems? One of the problems is if you try to do something with the accessory drive on the front of the new engine, you're right up against the firewall. There is not very much room in there. So there are some problems to be solved. And cooling has to be up there as well, because horsepower is heat. Yes. If someone wants to get in touch with Callaway Cars, let's give the listeners to Corvette Today's podcast the URL, the phone number, so they can get a Callaway car or purchasing a car done by Callaway. Good. I'd be happy to. Look, it all revolves around the website. So it's Callaway Cars, all A's, C-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, cars.com. And that'll tell you everything you need to know model by model. Phone numbers are all there. Emails are all there. That's the central point for information. And it all comes out of Old Lyme, Connecticut, correct? Part of it. There are three Callaway facilities worldwide. One is headquarters, Old Lyme, Connecticut. Second is our West Coast facility in Temecula, which is a little south of Los Angeles and north of San Diego. That is managed by Pete Callaway, my oldest son. And third is our racing facility uh, where we build all of the Corvette-based GT3 cars for international competition. Our deal with GM is that we are authorized to build and sell those cars to race teams, and we campaign them worldwide from our facility just north of Stuttgart in the same town as Audi, across the street from Porsche, and down the road from Mercedes. So the joke is there's something in the water. (laughs) What a neighborhood to be in, Reeves. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today for Corvette Today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending time with me and talking about Callaway, the tradition, and what people can expect when they buy a Callaway Corvette. Hey, Steve, great questions, great organization. Nice to be interviewed in such a knowledgeable way. Let's do it again. Absolutely. I'd like to get your son, Pete, on at one point in time and maybe even talk to Mike Zoner, who is your general manager for Callaway Cars. Yes, they're both available for you anytime. That's awesome. Thanks again, Reeves. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening to Corvette today. And thank you to our flagship sponsors, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City at ChevyUSA.com and MidEngineCorvetteForum.com. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at stevegarrettdj. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.